You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the composer for The Report, David Wingo. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Howitt, and I'm here with David Wingo, the Emmy-nominated composer of Barry, who also scored the films like Midnight Special, Loving, Brigsby Bear, and this year's The Report. David, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you. So, The Report tells the true story of Daniel Jones, who investigated the CIA's use of torture post-9-11. How did you board this project? How did this project come across your plate? Um, unlike most, strangely, it does seem like most projects end up being there being some kind of connection like someone of an editor i've worked with before if not the director himself but um this was the rare one that was just kind of out of the blue mm. and uh they were already through editing it was very pretty late in the game they were already through editing and um the editor gregor bryant had tempted several pieces of mine in and they just liked like they liked how liked how it was working so they came to me and it was i guess like the middle of october last year and um i immediately obviously had my interest very peaked not just by everything here subject matter by hearing who's behind it scott z burns and soderbergh and the cast yeah. and then once i watched they sent me a uh sent me the cut and like i said it was pretty much the final cut and i just thought it was incredible and the kind of movie that i love and that doesn't get made so much anymore they, um, kind of like you know investigative procedural thriller like you know, all the president's men zodiac type movie yeah. always kind of movies i've always loved the kind of scores i've always loved so i was yeah just jumping at the chance there was zero hesitation on my part uh, was that sort of different for you to come upon a project this late was that a little bit different for you it was a little different for me in terms of movies that you know, it happens a lot with like smaller movies that are waiting to see if they get into Sundance. Right, right. Um, then they bring on the composer. That's certainly uh, always end up, you know, usually end up getting a few of those, a few of those calls where they're just kind of waiting to see if they got to, you know, if they're going to, still in the middle of editing, if they get into Sundance, they just got to rush to the finish line and bring the composer in. Then. But yeah, I think for a movie of this size, it was a little, a little bit different. Um, yeah. That's so cool. I think it's common. It seems like it's common for a lot of other people. I think it's just for me. It was not, it's not the norm. It's it's quicker than I usually have to start and finish something. But it does talking and re, reading about other composers. It doesn't seem completely out of the ordinary. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, like you referenced, you know, Scott C. Burns. He's a he's a critically acclaimed screenwriter. But this was his directorial debut. What was it like working with him on the project? It was great, and I've worked with first time directors before of course and i feel like they're contending i can certainly understand it uh, there can tend to be some indecisiveness mm. i think um to be general i guess about it with first-time directors just because i think i i certainly the first time i've done any like that first time i toured with my band i was very indecisive about you know you're sure. figuring out your way and uh not sure if you're always being the right you know questioning whether you're doing the right thing and that was but there was none of that and i i don't know if it's because this project has been so close to him for so long right and he just had such a clear vision of what it of what it was like in every part of it like every step of the way and um 
they even like the first meeting where I went and watched the film with him and a couple of the producers and uh, and the editor Greg Greg O'Brien um, yeah Jennifer Fox was on the producers and watched the movie and he they've drawn out like a very thorough like blueprint of the score to where, which no one had ever done from hmm. before where it was like every scene what they wanted the music to accomplish in that scene where the Daniel Jones was in his where either the investigation was and what they wanted to reflect about that or where they want to reflect about where Daniel Jones's psychology was at this point. Mm. And like this scene could tie to the score for this scene could tie to this scene. You know, it was just very, it was very so thought out and so yeah. thorough. So like fully realized it was great. There was just the, it's, you know, starting with the empty canvas is always the kind of like most daunting part. And it felt like there wasn't an empty canvas. It felt like I could still be very creative. Like he wasn't like, it was in no way like at this point this you should start having a piano theme like it right was, right it was just the psychology of the film and the characters and that part was so drawn out and then leaving the creativity of com- completely to me so there was no stepping on my toes by any means um it was great it was really for how quick it had to be done it, we could not have asked for a more accommodating and more collaborative and more helpful um relationship that's cool yeah you said it's quick turnaround how, how quick of a turnaround was it from when you kind of uh, officially signed on to to when you delivered your your final composition from when i started until i i was done was i mean not when i say it it doesn't sound that quick it's two months which is mm. actually pretty common it just felt like for the for the amount of for it just usually I've had some quick turnarounds I know about them ahead of time. right right yeah <laughs> no, that makes just, sense uh, waiting to get the, the them to get an edit done so I can like stew on the film like Brigsby Bear yeah um I did with uh only like six weeks but that was because I was waiting for a cut to work with yeah. um I knew I knew I was doing it early on, so I had time to think about it. This was just kind of jumping in, and it wasn't even something I knew existed. And suddenly I'm on it, and it's the end of October, and got to be we're mixing in the in, you know, before Christmas. Right. So that was pretty quick for me. As an aside, Brixby Bear was one of my favorite movies of of 2017. I absolutely love oh, that movie. Well. People do not talk about that movie enough. It uh, man, that movie really moved me. I love it. Thank you so much. And it's funny, someone. Uh, Someone was asking me what my parents' favorite movie of my, that I worked on was. And I thought about it. I was like, I think it's Brixby Bear. <laughs> like, I think people have really, like, I, I think it's having the life that is kind of expected of a movie like that at the end of the day where a few people, like, discover it when it comes out, but yeah. not as many as you feel it should. And then it just slowly yeah. kind of develops a following because it's just it's a word-of-mouth thing. Yeah. It's been on planes. A lot of people keep telling me it's seen it on planes. Oh, yeah. that's funny. It's funny. I feel like... Oh, all the real girls was kind of like that when it came out. Yeah, not a lot of people saw it, and then slowly it became a thing that everyone loved. So I think Brigsby Bear is on its way. More and more people, all the time. You know, a lot of movies I work on, like I don't hear too much about them after it's been a few months. And Brigsby, I continuously hear from people. That's that that's awesome. Like it. That's encouraging. <laughs> more people need to see it. Uh, well, b- back to the report. Mm-hmm. So you said he had he had a really clear vision and kind of had walked through what they wanted the mu- music to accomplish. What were some of the most uh, helpful uh, direction that you got that kind of helped you craft the, the the sound of this film? The most was the um, 
you know, at the end of the day, the music needed to kind of, I think, serve two main purposes. One, to give the, give it some pace, give the movie some momentum, some rhythm, some sense of anxiety, mostly just, you know, to make sure we, the audience isn't ever stopping to think like, oh, mm. I'm just watching a movie about people in rooms talking, just right. exchanging information. Um, you don't want to think about that. You want it to feel like a compelling story that you want to see where it goes next. And you're not thinking about the fact that that's pretty much what it is. And so the music needs to help you in that way. Um, but, and the other part that is maybe more crafted, the sound of it was reflecting Daniel's growing disillusionment, but maintaining his sense of faith and hope that this is still a system that he cannot, he not totally lose hope in. And that's why he, you know, gives him the strength to keep going despite all the obstacles and despite the system consistently, you know, letting him down. Um, And so in doing that, talked a lot about sounds like there should be, you know, some, when he first walks out, when he first shows up at the beginning, well, the, the movie drops right in the middle of the mm-hmm. plot in the first scene and then goes back to the beginning of him right. showing up at DC. And so there's some, you know, Scott wanted to have some brass come in as you see him and he sees the Washington Monument and it's just like the reflecting this, you know, kind of patriotism, idealism. And he thought brass was a good way of doing that and he's right. And then that theme, even in those first few scenes, kind of becoming a little, because it's kind of speeding through the the, the years at the beginning there, but still keeping this idealism and the kind of innocence. Yeah. And, and then as that, as it goes along, figuring out ways to take that theme and those sounds and start make dirtying them up until the point where they're really like corrupted. Um, and so that was interesting. I got like a piece of gear just for that called the Sherman filter bank that just really corrodes in its analog analog modular hmm. it distorts an ugly sounds in a way that's very unique and i yeah. felt like i didn't i wanted it to there's something very visceral about the way it, you can you can mesh with things and so i use a that a lot um on the on the brass i would run the brass through that and so take it was just like a very you know pretty on the nose way of sure. taking Dan's idealism and corrupting it, like taking that brass that reflects idealism and just running it through this machine that's just making it ugly. But still, like, it's still the same thing. It's still, like, a, it's, it's, it's still, like, hopefully you still subconsciously hear the idealism and the hope in it. Yeah. Like that he's not totally lost. It's just getting really dirtied yeah. and soiled. That's cool. And another thing the movie does really well is it, it never... It never sensationalizes the investigation. It's it's kind of matter of fact, right? It, it allows the material itself to to shock you or to or to make an impact instead of having these crazy, wild, larger than life things happening because it is a, a, a true story. So, how did you kind of use your music to accentuate that style without without really sensationalizing things? Yeah, I think that was just coming through in everything. I think in the acting, and the writing, and the way it was shot. And it, and, it, and it's inherent in the whole and really the message of the film, which is like just that the truth is not relative. Mm. The truth doesn't need to be doesn't need to be 
uh, dressed up in yeah, any certain yeah. way. It speaks for itself. It's the truth. And more and more that becomes lost. Um, and so I think Scott wanted to make sure everything in the film kind of reflects that. That let's just present this is just presenting that this is and again it all ties back to Daniel's the movie subjective to Daniel's experience. It's kind of a character piece in its own way. Yeah. Because that's Daniel's thing. It's just like he just wants to he's just he's been hired to get to the bottom of this and he's getting to the bottom of it and the truth speaks for itself. Um and it's maddening to him that he, everyone's trying to stymie mm -hmm. the fact um so i think it was always just a matter of not not playing up just as the actors aren't just as the camera work isn't just as the writing isn't mm -hmm. just being subtle not being pretty spare in the film in the music a lot like being somewhat minimal not dressing it up too much leaving space leaving um Room, leaving a lot of room to breathe for you to kind of just soak in the pauses and the gravity and what, you know, as he's presenting, like it could be like, he's presenting facts to Feinstein and yeah. she's kind of like dumb, dumbfounded by it. And he's presenting it to her in a very matter of fact way. And the music, you know, if her performance was more like wide eyed mm -hmm. or if the camera was like being shaky or I don't know if it was, or if the, yeah, if the writing had him really giving a big long monologue about how how wrong this was to right, her, right. Um, then it's like the music would reflect that same thing. But no, it's just it's just following the lead of everything else. So yeah, yeah. leaving space, not over dramatizing anything. If you notice, there's no strings in the whole thing. Right. Like that was that was um. We talked about it, and uh, and it was like again, Scott didn't want to tell me what to do in terms of sonically and instrumentally. But when I said, I was like, "What are you thinking about strings?" And he's like, "I don't, I don't think so." If you want to try something, sure. And once I started working on it, I didn't ever attempt it, but it made sense. It's just obviously could have made it work, sure. But it just seemed like keeping it in this, keeping it in this um, world of synths and brass and piano was just working and uh i didn't want to yeah i don't there's like like it would have you know at times it could have had like a even just a subtle like string bed mm. just to give it more depth but it was kind of like nice lacking have that when like you know some of the synth parts would ebb and flow that yeah. there wasn't a bed beneath, beneath that like you're it just leaves you i think it subtly leaves you more room to pay attention to the subtlety of the performances. Yeah, I think you accomplished that, and I think it. I think it kept the the film moving in a sense. It kept the just as he he kept his investigation moving without sensationalizing it. I think the music really accentuated that. Yeah, and sometimes it's just like a synth pulse, and there's hardly yeah. anything else going on around it, and it, it really is just providing that that momentum in those parts. Yeah, and yeah. it's just it's just ominous enough without without like we've been saying without being over the top or being you know spooky or anything like that. I think it was it was, exactly. it was great. What was your favorite step in the process, or or typically not just necessarily on this film? What's what's your favorite step as you as you approach a project? Hmm, I do think it probably it probably always does differ from project to project. Hmm. Um, like when I work with Jeff Nichols or David Green. Mm -hmm maybe my favorite steps are the kind of preparation because I know about those are my 
working relationships and they're my couple of my best friends who I'm yeah. hearing about what they're working on well before they ever, when it's just like a, this is a possibility that this thing is going to be made. Um, so it, that's always fun just to like, once they're actually going and they're actually shooting and I can, I start coming up with ideas and sending them while they're shooting and something like midnight special, I went and visited set and I had already sent what ended up being the main theme. And we're just watching like the dailies on his laptop and putting the music mm. over it. And he's like, this is great. This is working really well. Like, you know, and then that ends up being the main theme that things based on. So th- those parts are a lot of fun just because there's like an anticipation of yeah. that for so long. Um, whereas on the report, favorite part, I it probably, yeah. And you know, since it was so quick and I was working by myself the whole mm. time, which was interesting. It was kind of like reflecting, I'm scoring a guy who's pretty much for the most part working by huh. himself in an <laughs> empty room yeah. with no windows yeah. and that's what I'm doing in my studio. Everybody else is done working on this. <laughs> edit room's closed. So I felt like my experience was mirroring him. I could put my, myself in his mindset. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and so, and it was so quick that just the gratification of going to New, they're mixing in New York. And so just going to New York for the mix and, finally being around other people on the film after you know i didn't know anyone before i came on board and i met them all once when i went and watched the movie with them for the first time then never saw anyone again and uh so that was just <laughs> gratifying like wow that was quick here yeah, we are two yeah. months later with a score and a finished film and we're mixing it this is awesome yeah so as i as i mentioned uh earlier you, you just received your first emmy nomination for barry mm-hmm. what's what do you prefer between working film and tv like other than the length obviously what how do those processes differ for you i've been asked that a few times and i feel like it's honestly i, I feel like i can't give a, an answer that is fully informed mm. because I've worked on, I don't know how many movies at this point, somewhere between 25 and 30, and um, two TV shows, and neither of which I feel like are, from what it sounds like, neither of which follow the standard TV Hmm. experience, which, from what I understand, quite often, you know, involves a lot of network notes, a lot of, a lot of crazy deadlines, and that, um, because, you know, rounds of notes over and over, HBO and Showtime both, I think, give, like, Bill, give Bill and Alec, and then it was Michelle Gondry in the first season of Kidding, along with Dave Holstein, mm-hmm. and then it's been more more Dave this season. But um, they give their creators room to do their thing. I think that's just their M.O. Yeah. Um, and so it felt so much like working on indie film um, because like, eh, like even more so than the films I've been working on. Well, no, that's not true. I, I guess it's, I guess most of the films are <laughs> say indie film, but again, even the studio films I work on, I don't get a whole lot of, I work with the kind of directors who aren't getting that many notes. Um, but it does, it does very especially felt like being back on indie film because of how kind of, how some dark and how dark and like weird some of the music that I did for it <laughs> was and like afraid like not sure if I could get, keep going down that road as much as I was and it was certainly not thirty minute comedy music right um, right but that Bill and Alec were always open to any experimentation and seemed to appreciate it the more 
like unique it got and never got any notes from HBO about any of it. So again, I, so this, the experience has been great. I, the, I don't mind the, t- the schedule in the least. The, an episode every week, it keeps me kind of, I feel like it kind of keeps me on my toes yeah. and maybe if I was getting a bunch of different notes, it could be a little more exhausting, but it was really it, both, both kidding and, sh- and buried and very gratifying and just felt like the perfect transition into TV from indie film, considering like all my experiences have been working with these, you know, kind of auteur style yeah. directors who have their own visions and have people funding them that believe in those visions and let them do their thing. That's cool. Uh, any, any other upcoming projects you, you're, you're able to share about? I have a couple of upcoming projects, but I probably can't share about things. I think okay. they're still under wraps. But, yeah. yeah. Mysterious. <laughs> Mysterious. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I probably can. I just don't know. Yeah, I don't, don't want to get in trouble. No I don't worries. know what's allowed. I don't think either has been announced yet. One's, one is a video game and one's a documentary. I oh, can't that's that, cool. They're different, they're different than what I'm usually. I mean, I've done several docs at this point, but that's awesome. I've not done any video games. So that will be, this would be an interesting yeah, that's, that's got to be a completely different world uh, in the video game world. Yeah, uh, I talked to. I wasn't so sure when I, I've been contacted about them before and kind of politely declined. And then this one just sounded so interesting. I don't know much about gaming, but mm. it it's very cinematic and it's approached more like a film. And it's just like, well, if I'm gonna ever do this, this where our our future and our culture are moving. This sounds like the right one to get, get going with. Hmm. So I'm, I'm excited. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. And, and my last question for you, um, what's, what's inspiring you creatively these days, whether it's music or movies or art, just kind of what's, what's filling you up creatively these days? I mean, I feel like it's the most obvious answer I could give, but I'm just, I'm still like such a record hmm. collecting nerd and just going to the rag, you know, I go to the record one of my LA has such incredible record stores. So I'm, I'm at the record at some record store once a week, generally. So it's just a constant search for new and or old music. And, uh, I just got this Gene Clark, former member of the birds and his mm-hmm. album, no others been one of my favorite albums forever. And it just got reissued in this giant, amazing box set. So I've just been really geeking out on that the last few days listening to all these old like demo versions of these songs that i know so well and just yeah and read there's a nice book and book in it and then same deal with the dylan they reissued the live the bootleg series from the rolling thunder review and the scorsese doc came out so they're listening to that on the reg so a lot of old a lot of old music yeah yeah that's cool that is usually the case but i usually have music going in the house i feel like everyone is constantly telling about all these new podcasts <laughs> I, w- I wish i had time to listen but i have i have i'm uh pretty impulsively just have music going all the time that's awesome <laughs> that's so cool well uh david thank you so much for talking with me today and, and talking with the next best picture podcast congrats on this movie it's it's phenomenal thank you so much i really appreciate it good talking to you 
Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the composer of The Report, David Wingo, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.